Scripture in Galatians chapter 4, we find ourselves. Last week we were talking about the adoption that we, uh, that we have in Christ. That, that when we put our faith, trust, hope in Him, it was the, the law that led us to the reality that said, I, I can't do this on my own, brings me to the Savior. I put my faith and hope in Him. He adopts me, keeps me, takes me out of slavery, and enters me into sonship. And the Galatians, their struggle was that they were sons, adopted sons, but they wanted to go back to slavery. They wanted to go back, just like the heart of the prodigal son was to be a slave. But what did the father say? You're not a slave, you're a son. You're a son. And so Paul's building his argument against those who would say, Paul, that's a great start. And and this is kind of amazing to me. I want you to get the whole picture. Paul says... He preaches the gospel. People put their faith, Gentiles who didn't grow up Jews, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they're saved. The Holy Spirit comes into their life, empowers them to be believers and do the things that God's calling them to do. And then come, come walking in Judaizers or, or, or Jewish, uh, believers or even maybe make believers that come inside and say, Hey, that's a good start, but now you need to keep the law. Now you need to celebrate the feast days. Now you need to add in all these other things. And Paul's saying to the people, guys, do you forget, speaking to the Galatians, I grew up a Jew. I kept all those feasts. I fulfilled all those practices. I did all those things. And what it taught me was that I need a Savior. Jesus Christ came into my life and set me free. So in Paul's mind, he is blown away. You guys are going back to what I left after having tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You're trying to go back. We talked about this before. Why does it happen? Because it appeals to our flesh. It appeals to our fleshly nature because now we can, we can look at one another and say, well, I don't do what he does, so that makes me more holy. I don't do what they do. I didn't say, I don't talk like they talk. I don't dress like they dress. <laughs> you know, I have risen above. It feeds our pride. But Paul says, if there was any other way that you could be made right with God, Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross. But Jesus died on the cross. He is the fulfillment of the law. Galatians tells us that the law was until Christ. And now in Christ, remember when we're in Christ, we fulfill the law. Because Christ fulfilled the law. We talked about this, you guys remember, right? The whole brownie deal? If I eat a brownie, the brownie is in me. Does it look like a brownie anymore? No, not really. It looks a lot like me. Now maybe I, you are what you eat, maybe I start to look like brownies if I eat too many. I don't know. But the reality is, when we're in Christ, do I look like me still? No, I should start to bear his resemblance, right? Because I've been adopted. He's my father. I want to look like my dad. I want to look like him. But you see, now it's not a, I have to do this in order to be accepted. Now it's, I'm accepted. I want to do this because I love my dad. That's the relationship. That's the relationship. And we, that's the relationship we want to have. But we always have to be on our guard against that legalism, rules and rituals, things that say, if I do this, it's going to make me better. It's going to make me more holy, more acceptable to God. Well, don't you see, 
God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Before you ever did anything, God loved you as much as he possibly could. There's nothing you can do to earn that love. The question is, how will you respond to that love? And that's where Paul has us today. We take a look at chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. He says, brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. And we look at what Paul has to say, and we look at what Scripture lays out for us. Here's what he's saying. Guys, I kept the law. Remember, I grew up a Jew. But when I came to know Jesus Christ, he set me free from the burden of trying to keep the law, for that law is kept in my relationship with him. So now I'm free, and I became like the Gentiles who grew up not being under the law at all. So he said, listen, I became like you. I'm set free. Don't now find yourself in a place where you want to put yourself under the bondage I already came from. But you see, we can make it all sound good, can't we? You know, feeling really close to God, I decided as a family we're not going to celebrate Christmas and, and Easter and none of that stuff. We're just keeping the feast days. You know, they're biblical. And we're going to keep Passover and we're going to keep Purim and and we're doing all those things. And man, it's just, we're, there's, there's just this incredible spirituality I find in it. And suddenly you begin to speak like a spiritual elitist. That by doing those things, by keeping those feasts, by, by making that, I have become a better believer, greater. God loves me more. It sounds good. Here's what happens. Man, the biblical feast days and holidays are awesome. And practicing them and being a part of them and understanding them is incredible because each one of them points to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is in every one of those feasts and every one of those appointed times. And when we study Him, when we know Him, when we keep Him, we learn more about Him. And when we learn more about Jesus, man, I just fall more in love with Him every day. That's the difference. One side wants to become legalistic, and, and before long, it's you have to do this. If you're not doing this, you're not really walking God's way. The other side is just falling in love with Him because they're growing in maturity, learning about the Lord. It is so subtle. It's so subtle, and we can find ourselves in that place where we're putting all our hope in our own ability to keep us saved. Exactly what did we do in our own ability to get us saved in the first place? Nothing. We believed. The scripture says, I I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded he is able to keep me to that day. Who keeps me saved? He keeps me saved. Jesus said, I thank my Father in heaven that I have lost none of the sheep that you gave me. He didn't lose any. He doesn't lose a sheep. He doesn't have the ability. He's, he has the strength to hold on to us. Amen? Isn't that good news? And as soon as we start thinking there's something I need to do, then we're, we're getting out of balance and we're pressing into the flesh and that we're not pressing into Jesus Christ. We need to press into Him. We do that by learning about Him, reading His Word, worshiping, entering in to Him. 
so that we can experience all that we have. Paul says, listen, I became free. I became like you. Why are you guys going backwards? I already came from there. Bad idea. Don't go. Let's move forward. Then he goes on to say, listen, he said, you have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you in the beginning. At the beginning, how was it that Paul ever came to Galatia? He got sick. He got sick and they took care of him. They didn't injure him. They didn't despise him. They didn't hate him because he was weak. They didn't look down on him. He got sick, ended up in Galatia, and wherever he was in Galatia, he, wherever Paul was, what did he do? He preached. He was, a, he was a, a walking billboard for Jesus Christ. And Paul says, man, you guys were there with me. You, you loved me. They, they didn't really know any of this other stuff, all this legalistic mumbo-jumbo they had entered in. They didn't really know any of that yet. They just loved Him. And they received the message that He taught. Verse 14, He says, In my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received Me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. You received Me. You took Me in as though I had come directly from the hands of God. They didn't, they didn't despise him. Some people think that whatever was wrong with Paul, we're going to see in a moment, it had something to do with his eyes. Whatever was wrong with him, and nobody knows. Have you ever tried to diagnose somebody? Doctors ever try to diagnose you? How's that word out for you? That's why they call it practicing medicine, right? Imagining diagnosing somebody 2,000 years ago. Today. I don't think we have any idea what's going on with Paul. But what we do know is whatever it was, it caused people to look at him like, ooh, something's wrong with him. Whether it was really bad pink eye, who knows. But there was something wrong with his, the way he looked and with his eyes. And he said, man, you guys didn't hate me. You didn't look down on me. You received the message that I gave you out of the gospel. You received it, applied it to your life. You loved me. You cared about me. Isn't that how you would like to be known when other people think of you? When other people are off somewhere and they, and they have opportunity to speak of you, do they speak of you in that way? Man, what a loving person. What a giving person. Man, they, they, you know, they, they just have that, that spirit within them. That's what Paul's saying. Man, you guys, you guys were amazing. You were there. You received me. You took all these things in that I shared. And then in verse 15, he says, well, what then? What then was the blessing that you enjoyed? For I bear witness, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. That's pretty intense, right? This is not just some relationship that was, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. I had a lot of friends I might not pluck out my eyeballs for. But here, that's what they said, right? Now, every once in a while, I say something like that. For example, someone says, Jackie, I got some pickled asparagus. And my response will be, I would rather pluck out my eyeballs (laughs) than eat pickled asparagus. The good news is you're never going to have to argue with me if you see somebody out there picking asparagus and they're in your asparagus. It's not me. I'll leave it alone. But here these guys, they look at Paul. They love Paul so much. Their attitude was, hey, you would have gladly plucked out your eyes for me. You would have dug them out so that you could give them to me. That's the the intensity of the feeling that they had for him. 
And then he goes on, listen to verse 16. So then have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? A few verses ago, they received him as an angel. Just like Jesus was with them himself. They would have plucked out their eyes for him. And then they began to get a little legalistic. And the freedom that Paul taught made them angry and frustrated. And now one whom they had received as a brother and loved, now they look at him as an enemy. And Paul says, why do you look at me as an enemy? Because I tell you the truth. We're always going to see that in the church. Always going to see it. There was a young man that came to know the Lord and he was so excited about the Lord, he annoyed everybody. Every time he showed up somewhere, he was, he was talking about something new he learned as he read the Bible. And he just wanted to talk with somebody about it. I mean, he wasn't trying to... to he didn't know any better. He just reading the Word and, and falling in love with Jesus. And he's getting all excited. And all the people come to the pastor and say, Listen, can you do something about this guy? He just bugs me. All that holiness and reading the Bible and praying... Man, would you, and it just so happened that the the preacher was the uncle. And the young man, his name was D.L. Moody. Maybe you heard of him. Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Sometimes we look at that excitement of falling in love with Jesus. And when we found ourselves in a place of legalism where, where we are just keeping our ducks in a row and doing the thing we do and we're thinking that's good enough and we're, we're satisfied in that place, we, we look at that excitement and we judge it wrongly because that's how we used to be. Remember what Jesus told the church at Ephesus? Revelation chapter 2. Oh, you guys got a lot of stuff going on, he said. Got a lot of programs and meetings and people are coming. Church is full. And the hungry are hungry, you feed them. And when people are naked, you clothe them. And and the folks in prison, you're visiting them. You're, You're doing all these things. And man, that's great. You're doing great things. I just have one thing against you, Jesus said. You have left your first love that's him he's our first love what did the relationship become all the things i do for him instead of him we see that kind of a a picture of that when we look at the life of mary and martha right when jesus was over visiting them and mary sat at jesus feet and martha was busy doing work now the work needed done right sure it did there's nothing wrong with doing work Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, hey, these are good things. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he said, though I have the faith to move mountains, to say to the mountain, be cast into the sea and have not love, it profits me nothing. It's not good for anything. My motivation is supposed to be love. So when Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, there's a lot of work to do. Would you tell Mary to get up and help me? Jesus said, no, that's not going to be taken away from her. She has chosen the best thing. Adoration. Love. Pouring out her love 
upon Jesus. And that's what we want. That's what we need to have coming out of our life, flowing out of our life. That's what Paul's saying. It needs to be love, not like the church at Ephesus where we're busy about a lot of stuff, but our motivation isn't because we love Jesus. Our motivation becomes, well, this is what we do. This is what you do when you do church. So what did Jesus say to the church at Ephesus? Remember how you were when you first got saved? You were excited and you loved me. You wanted to learn and you wanted to read the word and you wanted to worship. You wanted to tell people about me. Jesus said, remember that. And repent of where you are today. And do what you did in the beginning. Do what you did in the beginning. Don't allow rituals to come in and steal our love for the Lord. Because that's the first thing that goes, guys. You can tell. You want to know if you're caught up in legalism? Here's the, here's the deal. Do you have joy in the Lord? Because if you don't have joy, that's the first thing legalism steals. The first thing it takes, this, this concept of, oh, I'm so tired. And every time, I, I, I can't even go by that church. I go by that church, Jackie will find something for me to do. I that. I forget about it, you know, and I'm, I do stuff and I'm, and I, I teach Sunday school and I, and I do all these things and I, and, and I'm doing all that already. They should be, don't they, aren't they ever satisfied? Well, yeah, I am. The motivation for that shouldn't be to please the body, please the church. It should be to love Jesus. Why I teach Sunday school? Because I love Jesus. Why do I do worship? Because I love Jesus. Why do I come to church? Because I love Jesus. As long as that's the goal, man, when I'm loving the Lord, all the little things that come up like snow on the way to church, it's not such a big deal. I remember the thought of driving to church in 25 degrees with snow blowing all over the place was foreign thought. Now, I wake up, I get all giddy. Woohoo! it's snowing. I go wake up, Joe, 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 come on, it's snowing. Joe, he, man, you want to see somebody lose their mind. He comes out, looks out the window, and he just goes like this. Yes! <laughs> we have joy. Why? Because we love the Lord. We love the Lord, and we can find the joy in the Lord. And our, our ritual, ritualism and all that stuff, it just steals people of joy, man. That's not what it's about. How's your relationship with the Lord? How's your relationship with Him? Paul says, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Hey, I'm telling you the truth. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. They want to exclude you. Literally, it means when they come with this legalistic idea, they want to lock you up. What does religion mean? To be bound. Jesus said, I come to set those who are bound to liberty. To set them free. Jesus doesn't bind us up. He sets us free. Not free to sin. Free to love him. Free to have a, a relationship with almighty God. Can you imagine such a thing? That God wants to know you in that intimate place that he, that he knows the very essence of you. And he likes you. 
And most of us, we think, if they really knew me, nobody would be sitting with me in this pew. I'd be all by my lonesome. No, man. If The reality is God knows everything about you. Nothing you can hide. And He loves you with an everlasting love. Never stop. He'll never quit. But these legalists, these Judaizers, hey, they, they want to pull after themselves disciples to follow them. Guys, it always makes me nervous. I do it myself. When we start filing in line behind teachers, you know what I mean? Turn on the radio, hear somebody teaching on the radio, and I go, oh, I really like this guy. Oh, I really like this. This is incredible. This is awesome. The next thing I know, I find myself worshiping a teacher. What's he doing? He's just repeating what the Spirit's telling him. It's God that's so great and mightily using this person. Praise the Lord. And the great news is, he even uses a guy I don't like on the radio at all. (laughs) Because he's listening to the same Spirit. And if my attitude is different... Well, lo and behold, this guy finally said something smart that I can't agree with. Hey, when he's listening to the Spirit, the same Spirit speaks through him and speaks through anybody. But, but that's the goal, to point people to Jesus, not to point them to myself. Hey, if you're, if you're going to do a healing crusade and you, you've got the gift of healing, then do this. Make a big old billboard and put Jesus on it. Because he's the one that does it. Not you or your little prayer cloth or, the, or your jacket swinging around in the air. Jesus does it. Jesus does it. Let's make it all about Him. Keep Him in that central focus. Keep Him in that place that He needs to be. He says, these legalists, they're going to draw people after themselves. Enchain you. Lock you up. But then He says in verse 18, look, it's good to be zealous in a good thing always. It's good to have zeal. It's good to be excited about Jesus. It's good to not be able to be quiet. But he added that it's good to have zeal in a good thing, right? Most of us don't have any problem having zeal in a bad thing. Does anybody struggle with having zeal in a bad thing? I just introduce you to Joseph. He'll help you understand zeal for something that is not necessarily good. Because Joe gets locked in on something, and that's it. Now... Good or bad, it's locked in. He's in the rut. He has zeal. But oftentimes, it is zeal without knowledge. Think about the Apostle Paul. Didn't he have zeal? He persecuted the church for all he was worth. Because he thought he was doing God a favor. But it was zeal not according to knowledge. It has to be zeal in a good thing. What's a good thing? Listen. Hopefully don't upset anybody. I'm not trying to upset anybody. But listen, I don't want to have zeal in a teacher. I don't want to have zeal in a program. I don't want to have zeal in a church. I want to have zeal for Jesus Christ. He's the one that does all that. And that's where our attitude needs to be. That's what Paul wants us to grasp. He wants us to understand it's good to be zealous for a good thing always. And not only when I'm present with you. And then he changes his tone. Listen, my little children, like a father speaking to his son, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Isn't that our goal? What is it that we, first thing we say when we see a a, a mom or dad coming home with their brand new little baby? Oh, she has your eyes. 
Oh, look, that, that's Uncle Pete's nose. She's going to have to fix that later. <laughs> we look at it and we talk about the features that, the, that that baby has that remind us of the parents. That's what Paul's saying. My little children, I'm laboring for you again because I want to see Christ in you. I want to see Christ in you. I want to... I want to see Him. I want to see, when you look at me, I want to see His eyes looking out. When you speak to me, I want to hear His voice. That's what Paul's saying. Remember, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're in Christ. Christ is in us. We have that ability to be the things that God wants us to be. Listen, I labor again until Christ is formed in you. And I would, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. Literally, he's saying, listen, I'm perplexed. I don't understand why you guys are wanting to go back. I don't understand why you want to go back where I came from. I just left that. Why do you want to go back? That's not the answer. I was just there. I was just there. And then he's going to give them this example. He's, listen, guys. Let me give you an example. Tell me, you who desire to live under the law... Do you hear the law? Do you understand what it says? Think about who he's talking to right now. Gentiles. Gentiles. I remember thinking, as I was studying the scripture, I I come to the section on Abraham, and and Abraham's talking to God, and God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you a sign of this covenant that I've made with you. I'm going to give you this sign so that people will know you're mine. And Abraham, I'm sure, was excited about it. Woohoo! God's going to give me a sign. Finally, people will know I actually do follow the Lord. Maybe it'll be a great big hat. And I can wear it on my head and I'll look special. I'll look special. Maybe it'll be something, something that, that, that he's going to mark on me. Maybe across my forehead it'll say, belongs to God. Man, that would be really cool. Lord, I'm so excited about what it is. God, what's the sign? What's the sign you're going to give me that I'm yours? You know what it is, right? Circumcision. (laughs) Circum what? (laughs) Circumcision. Uh, Hey, God. Nobody's going to see that. Isn't that the point? Isn't that the point? And that's, what, that's the reality of how we are. Sometimes we think we want to put something on the outside. But what was circumcision spoke of cutting away from the flesh and living fully for God. And God ultimately would tell his people, hey, you, you think that you have everything in this circumcision to circumcise your heart. Because your heart is turned from me. Cut away all the stuff that holds you back and live completely for me. And what does it speak of? Personal. It's a personal relationship. And it's nothing you can see from the outside. It's nothing you can tell. It's something that takes place within, within us. Paul says, have you not listened to the whole law? You guys are all Gentiles. I don't think you're paying attention to to all that is written therein. He goes on and says, look. 
For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and one by a free woman. We remember, you guys remember the story of Abraham? You remember Abraham was in his mid-70s, God called him. Somewhere in his mid-70s. Abraham, come to a land that I will show you. And Abraham went. Okay, Lord, sounds good. But he didn't have any children. Abram and Sarai, they didn't have any kids yet. And about the time he's in his, his uh, uh, mid-80s, he's thinking, you know, the Lord said, come to a land I will show you, and he promised that I would have a son. But here we are, you know, 10 years or so later, and, and we don't have any kids. And so Sarah says, well, I know what you need to do. We, we just need to help God out. We need to help God out because, because we don't see the promise happening yet. So let's help him out. So, so you take Hagar and marry her and have a child with her, and then, then, then you'll have a son. And so he, Abraham said, why? Sarah, you're so wise, intelligent. Do you see the miracle? Abraham listened to his wife. Went, married Hagar, had a, a, a child, and named him Ishmael. And then in his mid-80s, as he has Ishmael with him, the Lord comes to him again. He says, Abraham, I'm going to take you to this incredible land, and, and, and you're going to have a son. And Abraham goes, Oh Lord, that Ishmael may live before you. Do you know what God said? No. No. He's a work of the flesh. In the flesh, no man can please God. He's a work of the flesh. No, I am going to give you the son of promise. The son of promise. Well, here he says, listen, they, they had, he had two wives, a free woman and a bondwoman. One was a slave, one was free. He goes on to tell us then, he says, now it is written... As Abraham had two sons, one by the bond, one by the free. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he who was of the free woman, according to the promise. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. What's he saying? Listen, here's the picture, guys. We have Abraham trying to help God out. One of the things we discover is that when God gives a promise, there is always a period of waiting for the fulfillment of that promise. Promise first comes to Abraham somewhere in his mid-70s. It's fulfilled 25 years later. He's 100 years old. And the promise is fulfilled. But the promise was fulfilled. What happened in that 25 years? God taught Abraham all the things he needed to know so that he would pass the test that the Lord would give him one day. Abraham, take your son, the only son whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering on the hill that I will show you. Well, as we take a look at what Abraham did, we see Abraham helping him out. What happened? He got impatient. You ever been impatient for God? Come on, be honest. You ever been impatient? You pr- I have prayed for that person at least ten times. <laughs> and 
just isn't working out. I prayed for three years and nothing is happening. It's not working. There is always a period of time where we wait and we learn that we have need of endurance. 25 years for Abraham. From the promise to the fulfillment. And Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. He still believed even though he hadn't seen and then he, he even says this, this, this woman, this, the, the bondage of Hagar, it's just like Jerusalem today. Jerusalem at the time that Paul wrote. Who were they in bondage to? Rome. They're in bondage to Rome. They're not free. They're not experiencing freedom. But Paul says, but that Jerusalem in heaven, the new Jerusalem, oh, that's free. Here we see bondage. There we see freedom. Here is a picture of the law. Hagar, Ishmael, work of the flesh. What happens when you try to keep the law? We get proud. What do we call that? The flesh. What does the law do? It gives birth to the flesh. That points us to a Savior who sets us free. So what's Abe saying? Listen. He goes on to, to quote from us from Isaiah. Actually, we studied this scripture on uh, Sunday night. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren. Now he's talking about Sarah. You who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. The desolate, when he speaks of the desolate, now he's changed his focus and he's looking at the Gentiles. Sarah's going to have one child. His name will be Isaac. For in Isaac your seed will be called. The scripture already told us in Galatians, who's the seed? The seed is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the seed. And as a result of Jesus Christ, who gets saved? The Gentiles. All over the place the Gentiles are getting saved. Everywhere you turn, Gentiles are getting saved. More Gentiles, more Gentiles. In fact... Those who were desolate are more than she who has a husband. She who has a husband is Israel. Israel. You have many more coming into salvation through the Gentiles than you have through Israel. You have many more coming through the free woman who had one child than the bondwoman that brings forth the flesh. So this is the focus. This is what he's saying. Listen, guys, I want you to grasp. I want you to see. I want you to understand. I want you to hold on to the truth. He says, I was in this system. Don't go back there. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. God promised that he would bring a light into the Gentiles. The Gentiles would be saved. That we'd be set free from the law. And that we would enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ we would have a relationship with God, a very God. Don't go there. Don't go back. We're like Isaac. We're free. Experience the freedom that God has for us. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Hey, you guys know that there's two natures with us? We have two natures. There's another fellow in Scripture we can relate to. His name was Jacob. Jacob had two natures too. Well, we see his two natures in his two names. Jacob, deceiver, 
liar, cheater, supplanter, and Israel, governed by God. What does it illustrate for us? Jacob, the old man, the flesh. Israel, the spirit. And Jacob struggled his whole life with which one he was going to be, right? Which one he was going to walk in. Sometimes he walked as Jacob. Sometimes he walked as Israel. Read the scripture in the Old Testament. Sometimes you think God's confused at who he's talking to. He'll use Jacob and Israel sometimes in the same sentence. But when you understand that they speak to his old nature, the old man, the flesh, and the spirit within him, all of a sudden, everything makes sense. Just like us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have a spirit within us. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We've been born again. We're born new. And the flesh that is in us, is there ever a day when it doesn't do battle with the spirit? When it's not giving grief to the spirit, when it's not trying to put the spirit down, when it's a trying, I mean, in my own head, sometimes I feel schizophrenic. Because I can hear the old man saying, oh, you should go do this. It's, it'll be okay. And then and because the flesh is like this, you know, you know, the devil likes to sow a little truth in the lie, right? So my flesh will say, it's okay. You're not under the law. Well, yeah, I know I'm not under the law, but that doesn't mean I'm free to sin. My dad told me at one time a story he picked up from someplace else that, that illustrates that concept in a great way. In our lives, within you and I, there are two dogs, and they fight every single day. A black dog for the old man, a white dog for the spirit. And these two are just brawling all the time. And I used to ask my dad, how can I ensure which one's going to win? Because within me, I know what to do is right, but the strength to do what is right, I, I don't find. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans chapter 7? My dad said, very simple, which one do you feed the most? The one you feed the most wins. So in our day, as we walk, as we seek the opportunity to love Jesus with our whole heart, are we feeding our spirit? Because our spirit's that which is going to have the strength to, to give us what we need to walk with Him. Are we feeding our spirit the Word of God? Or are we starving Him? Do we feed Him once a week? I will feed the Spirit every Sunday morning whether He needs it or not. But then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday are kind of rough. And I tend to react in my flesh a lot on those days. So maybe in the morning we could continue to feed the Spirit. What about worship? What about worship? So some people get the wrong idea of worship. I, I have people tell me all the time, you know... I don't understand that whole worship thing. It's kind of dumb. I don't get it. Well, well, flip it. Look at it like this. Worship is how you tell Jesus you love him. Ooh. Well, worship is not how you fall in love with a song. Worship is how you take this music and, and give it to him. And the cry of your heart is, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I say it in this worship it's not for me it's for him feeds my spirit the word feeds my spirit fellowship feeds my spirit and so if i'll feed that i feed the new man 
And I learned what it was that God told Abraham. God told Abraham, Abraham, Ishmael, Sarah actually said, Ishmael's given Isaac grief. And Sarah says to Abraham, you need to get rid of your, your son and his wife. They need to go. This is how I know the first time was a miracle because Abraham wasn't going to listen to her. He said, I love Ishmael. It's my firstborn son. I love Ishmael. No, no, Lord, may Ishmael live before you. And then God said to him, no, listen to your wife. You need to send him out. You need to give him to me. I think that was one of the hardest things Abraham ever did. Take his firstborn son, even though he's a picture of a work of the flesh, doesn't change the fact that Abraham loved him. But he gave him no provision. Because the scripture says, make no provision for the flesh. How much of a provision do you have to give to the flesh before the flesh wants to eat? Not much, right? Scripture says, make no provision for the flesh. Abraham took Ishmael, he took Hagar, he handed them a bottle of water. Well, they didn't have bottles in, but a water skin. And said, there you go. And they went out in the desert to die. But God is faithful to his promise. You believe that? God is faithful to his promise. Do you believe that? Yeah, Lord, I know you're faithful to your promise, but you don't understand. My son's really messed up, my daughter and my kids, and so I just need to do what God said. Give them to me. Give your children to me. I'm the one who gave them to you in the first place. And they're just on loan. Give them to me. So God met Ishmael in that place and took care of him. But Abraham learned no provision for the flesh no provision for the flesh starve the flesh feed the spirit you understand starve the flesh feed the spirit we want to have victory a victorious life and we think it's about rules and regulations it's not it's about starve the flesh feed the spirit Well, I just think one of the ways I'm going to feed my spirit is to keep these rules and regulations. What does the law produce? What came from Hagar, who symbolizes the law? Ishmael. And Ishmael, the scripture says, is the flesh. What does the law produce? The flesh. What are you supposed to do? Starve the flesh. So that's not the way. Starve the flesh. Make no provision. Nothing that's going to satisfy my flesh and make me think I'm better than somebody else. And feed my spirit. And that's going to be what Ephesus needed. That's what we need. That's what we need to be walking in that first place, that first love with Jesus Christ. Experiencing all that he has for us. But i got to starve the flesh. Feed the spirit. Starve the flesh. Feed the Spirit. That's what He wants us to grasp. That's what He's trying to help us to understand. So He says, Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free. Cast out the flesh. There's nothing you can do in your flesh that will please God. 
We please God in a work of the Spirit by believing what He said and making application in our lives. Receiving the word that He gives us. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bond. We are children of the free. You're not a slave to the law or to rules or to regulations. But do not be confused. You are a slave to somebody. Romans says it this way. Whomever you present yourself to obey is your master. And you is or are its slave. The encouragement that Paul has for us is that we present ourselves to God as tools of righteousness. Here I am, Lord, and our response for you loving us is me loving you. Let me serve by loving you. Let me do what you're calling me. Let me, let me be who you want me to be. God, I want to serve you. I want to be free. You know, I got a dog. You guys got dogs? I need a dog whisperer sometimes. I have this dog. <clears throat> He's much better dog than the dog I used to have. The dog I used to have, man, I would call that dog and it ran as hard as it could the other way. Make me mad. It was a, it was a little, what did Kathy call it? A Jack Wiener Wawa. It was a Jack Russell Wiener Dog Chihuahua. I'm not sure that's a good mix. <laughs> this dog would not listen. It said, I'll tell you who I'm going to present myself to obey. Me. I'm going to obey myself. You know where that dog spent his entire life? On a chain. And if you could talk to him, he'd say, I'm so free. You should see the freedom I have. I do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. I am my own master. I'm master of my destiny. Your destiny's on a chain, brother. I choose not to see that chain. I am free in my mind, and that's all that matters. Free. I make my own choices. I make my own decisions, and I'm free. And I had this other dog. And it would come when I called... And it knew my voice. You know, that dog went everywhere with me. Never put it on a chain. All I had to do was call his name, and there he was. Or the dog on a chain, he'd look at that dog that wasn't on a chain, and he'd say, you know, man, you're missing the boat. This whole doing whatever the master says, that's lame. Don't you want to be free like me? Uh, yeah, no thanks. While you're out here on this little chain, I'm in there having steak. (laughs) But that's our relationship with the Lord. To whom we present ourselves to obey, that becomes our master. Obey the Lord. Love Him. Respond to the love He's given you. And like Paul, you will understand finally what it is To be free. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you. Praise you for an opportunity, God, to come before you and study your word, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that God, that which is from you, your word, Lord, that it would find fertile place within us. All the junk, all the garbage, we forget it already. But, but what's from you? May we accept the truth of your word, apply the truth of your word, live the truth of your word. God, it is our desire that we as your people would experience the freedom you have for us. So God, may we present ourselves to you to obey. Because we will serve somebody. I choose to serve you. Lord, we pray, God, that your spirit would move through this place, touch lives, change lives. Give us the fire we had in the beginning, and may we ignite our town. For a light has dawned to the Gentiles, and may it go forth from this place, because we love you, because we're excited about you, because we're excited about your word and what you're doing, because it's all about Jesus. So, Lord, we lay this day before you and pray. This day, we would be bring honor unto you. And as we go forward, that we would starve the flesh and feed the spirit. Uh, thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in a word of...